This morning, I am speaking about keys to increasing the reality of God's presence. Keys to increasing the reality of God's presence. And I'd just like to pray before we get going. Heavenly Father, I really pray that you would take this word, which undoubtedly is firmly based in Scripture, and I pray that you'd make it come alive in our hearts and in our minds, and that we wouldn't be people that just hear, but that we really apply these things to our hearts, and that we become more and more like you. Holy Spirit, speak through me. I pray that you anoint the ears and the hearts of those listening and receiving. Let your kingdom work be done here, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're still busy generally with the whole aspect of communion with God. Talking about keys to increasing the reality of God's presence. And you'll see through the course of this message that there are a couple of definite things that we can do to increase the level of God's presence in our lives, the experiential reality of God's presence in our lives. Have you ever looked at somebody and you've noticed about this person that they just seem to be experiencing more of God than you are? Maybe they're in kind of at a deeper level. Well, the fact of the matter is, maybe there's one or two things that they're applying in their hearts that are bringing about a greater reality of God's presence in their lives. Now, when, when God established the people of Israel as His own special people, His set-apart people, He also established an intricate place which was like a communications center. An intricate communications center, which was more commonly known as the tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle played an important, very important, central part in the Israelites' camp, in where they were going, in what they were doing, and in what they gave priority. And it was here, in the tabernacle, that man communicated with God, and God communicated with man. It was a special communication center. The amazing thing is that the very presence of God Himself, God's presence would come down and would live in the Holy of Holies in this tabernacle. Think about that for a moment. The actual presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God, as it is called, would come and rest just above the Ark of the Covenant, where there were two angels facing each other from either side, two cherubim, with their wings covering over them, and these angels would face the center of the Ark of the Covenant. Just underneath their wings was a place called the Mercy Seat, and right there on the Mercy Seat, God Himself lived. So if you wanted to know God's address in the Old Testament, it was uh, tabernacle number one in the Shekinah, or the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. Now, it was here in the Holy of Holies where communion with God became a reality 
but just for one person. Praise God, it's not like that anymore. The holiest place of God is open to every one of us. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be a high priest. You've just got to be a believer. And then you're part of a kingdom of priests that can access the place of God's presence. But the high priest could only go in one time per year into this place called the Holy of Holies. And before the time, he would have to do a lot of things in preparation. He would have to do sacrifices for himself, sacrifices for his family, sacrifices for the nation of Israel. And then, after elaborate ceremonies, he would eventually get in to the Holy of Holies. At the same time, there was a rope tied around his leg. Because if he had failed to make himself right before the Lord, he would be smitten dead right there. And then they would pull on the rope if that happened. Can you just imagine that? Imagine pulling on the rope and here comes the high priest. It's, it's not funny, you know what I mean? But it's scary. But if the high priest had met all the requirements, he would go in to the Holy of Holies and he would place some blood on the mercy seat and just before the mercy seat. This was called the Day of Atonement. And then atonement was done and he could then leave. But it's amazing, this communication center that God himself would live there and on specific occasions, there would be communion with God. Now, I hope you can see the picture on the screen. I found it quite difficult to find suitable pictures about the tabernacle and so on. But let's have a look at a few pictures. And I'd like to talk you through and then mention five aspects that we can learn from five of the different things that we encounter here. And these aspects are keys to increasing the reality of God's presence. Now, if you have a look at the tabernacle there, there it is situated. just want to see if I move my mouse around here. Can you see that? Yes, you can. All right. So, right over there, well, firstly, you would come in at the entranceway here where the, the red cloth is. And, uh, oh boy. And what would happen over there, there would be the altar the brazen altar was right situated over there. It's the first thing, that square box that you encountered as you would walk in there. This is where animal sacrifices would take place. Now, this whole picture looks very clean and very nice and so on. But I was just thinking, if animals were being sacrificed on that first place that you get to the altar, it must have been quite an unusual experience. Because here you would have a young bull brought in, a ram brought in, a goat brought in, and this would be placed on the altar, as I understand it, still live. Then they would slit the throat and they would sacrifice, they would actually burn these animals. Why would they burn these animals? Because it was a covering of sin for later on when the full sacrifice of Jesus would come. And so these animals just was a covering of sin, a symbolic picture of Jesus that was to come. 
But can you imagine one or two or three animals, because you're talking a nation of Israel and sacrifices. Can you imagine them on the altar? Can you imagine the slitting of throats and the blood coming out? I'm being a bit graphic, but it was graphic. And there was sand all around the altar. The blood would run off into the sand. And My goodness, must have been a, a fascinating place to be. And then if you moved past that brazen altar, you would get to the laver. What would happen at the laver is the priests would wash their hands and they would wash their feet. They wouldn't physically wash in there, but they would take water out of the laver. They would wash their hands and that they would wash their feet. Obviously, they needed it after performing sacrifices. They might have been very sweaty and actually they needed a full valet, but it was symbolic. All right. And then, as you see the next section, which is... Uh, the red curtains over there, um, that is entering into the holy place, which had a first section, slightly bigger section, then it had a second section. Now let's just have a look uh, before we go into the detail of the holy place. The tabernacle probably looked something like that. And I know maybe we imagine these massive big pillars and marble and gold and so on, but it was a tent of meeting. It was a tabernacle of meeting. So that's what it probably looked like. So there you have the bronze altar, the square at the bottom of your screen. Then you have the laver, the round thing just above that. And then you would go into the holy place. The holy place had three aspects to it. The table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. And then beyond that there was a veil, and then above the veil was the top rectangle that you see, which was the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Here's the brazen altar, where the sacrifices of the animals were performed. Must have been quite something. If you look at the next one, there's the laver. That's where the washing of hands and the washing of feet would take place. What would be in the laver? Water. Just water. Then you go into the holy place. Now, these guys in the picture, they look a little bit scary. I think they're made out of wax, but, but don't worry too much about that. So, there's three items in there. Table of showbread, lampstand, and the altar of incense. Firstly, the table of showbread. On the table would be 12 uh, loaves of bread. Unleavened bread without any yeast. And the priest would actually come and eat of this bread. And there was no place for this priest to sit down in there. It wasn't a place of relaxing, but it was a place where they could eat. Then you had the lampstand, the golden lampstand in the holy place, a seven-branched lampstand, which the priests had to keep going. They had to keep the lamps burning. They were oil lamps. They were not candles. And then the third thing in the holy place was the altar of incense. On this altar, there would actually be little coals burning, and the priest would come and put incense, and the incense would burn. And the incense would grow, go up as a fragrance to the Lord. And then... Beyond those three things in the holy place, you would move through a thick veil, a curtain. 
and you would actually see the Holy of Holies. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, who knows what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? Let's just do a bit of Bible quiz in here. What was one of the things? The? The Ten Commandments, the law, was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Another thing? Aaron's rod, which strangely enough, budded. Alright, so this was, this was a, a stick, like a wooden walking stick. But it had a sprout of green on it. It was a budding rod. What's the other thing that was in the ark? Manna. Alright, speaking of Jesus Christ, the manna was also in the ark. Now, that's just a little bit of an overview of the temple, uh, sorry, the tabernacle. But five aspects that I want to touch on regarding this. The brazen altar speaks of, point number one, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is one of the keys to increasing the reality of God's presence in your life. This is the primary key to experiencing God's presence. Without the blood of Jesus, we cannot enter into God's presence. This is essentially a once-off experience which takes place on the day when we repent and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So although we remember this altar many times, it essentially is a thing that takes place once-off in your life. The brazen altar is the place where by the way, it's referred to in Exodus 27, verse 1 to 8, if you are making notes, but you don't have to turn there. This is where the animals were sacrificed. They were offered to the Lord, and their blood would actually be spilled here. Sometimes, if you think back to those occasions in the Old Testament, I kind of think, God, why was that so necessary? And didn't that seem a little bit sort of, wow. Heavy stuff to do and the slaughtering and sacrificing of animals. But God in His infinite wisdom was creating a picture of something to come. He was creating a picture of Jesus. The brazen altar is like coming to the communion table and remembering the Lord's death on the cross. But the brazen altar speaks of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you today that Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ died for you. Maybe you've never heard somebody say it as clearly as that. Well, I want to tell you he did. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he died for you. He shed his blood for you. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to die but so that you could receive the gift of eternal life and be washed clean by the blood of Jesus and that you could go to be with the Father, that you could experience the Father. Why don't you say to the person next to you, Jesus died for you. Why don't you say that to them, please? Now I want to ask you a question as we're looking at the brazen altar, thinking about the blood of Jesus. When was the blood of Jesus applied to your heart. Because it has to be applied to your heart in order for you to experience a greater reality of God's presence. Maybe you can think back to an exact date 
Or maybe at least you can think back to a certain time and, and you say it was after I went through this particular crisis that the blood of Jesus was really applied to my heart. Or maybe you think it was in Standard 5 and you remember Grade 7, you remember going on a particular camp. And in that camp, you remember the blood of Jesus was applied to your heart. You really gave your life to Jesus Christ. Unless you do that, you can't even begin to go into the communication center. You can't even begin to experience the presence of God. Number two, the second key to increasing the reality of God's presence is keeping your heart clean. The labor speaks of keeping your heart clean. It speaks of keeping short accounts with God and also with others. It speaks of as you're being washed by the blood of Jesus and you're walking on in your life, if things happen to you that defile your heart, that you quickly deal with it. Somebody does something to you, does you in, steals money from you, uh, hurts your feelings, does something bad, you get bitterness in your heart, you get unforgiveness. It's going to stop you from the fullness of God's presence. It's going to take something away from you experiencing more of the Lord's presence. So don't get offended. Forgive. Decide, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to bless. I'm going to move on and keep my heart clean because otherwise my iniquities will separate me from God. In Exodus 30 verse 18, I'll read it to you. Exodus 30 verse 18 to 20, it says, God said to Moses, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze, for washing, and you will put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, they shall wash with water, lest they die. Try saying that one to your kids. You better go wash your hands before we eat. Otherwise, you're going <laughs> to... Now, the priests had to wash their hands and their feet. But really, it's not about hands and feet. It's about heart. God says, I don't look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. If your hands are sticky and your feet are sticky and smelly, that's not really the issue. It was an outward symbolism of an inward work. Speaking of purity, speaking of keeping your heart clean. I'm sure you'll agree with me that you know when your heart becomes defiled through something that happens. And the thing is, it cuts you off from the life-sustaining presence of God. So don't allow it to be there. Rather, deal with it. God looks at the heart. Psalms 24 verse 3 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's interesting. You can come into the fullness of God's presence if you're watching what's going on here. If you God in your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And you know what? I'm of the opinion that this is one of the biggest challenges in our lives, is to guard our hearts. So sad when you see somebody that has become bitter. Very sad. So lovely when you meet a person that's free 
that's full of the life and the joy of God. And, and you see that they're not holding grudges and so on. But it's interesting that coming into the holy place, who can come into the holy place and stand before the Lord? Clean hands, but a pure heart. Keeping your heart clean is about drawing closer to God. Matthew 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the poor in heart. That's what pure in heart. The pure in heart. For they shall see God. Now, my, my mom was away last week. Occasionally we give her off. And she was away in Durban with a friend of hers having a little bit of a fun time, a little bit of a break in Durban. Now, my mom hasn't been to Durban for many years and it's not quite the way she pictured it when Grandpa Am, her dad, and the family went down in the Studebaker to, uh, to Durban in 19 Footsec. It's not quite the same. It's changed somewhat. And it's, it's become very uh, concrete jungle and so on. And it just so happened that my mom was staying right in Durban on the beachfront. Okay? Now, lovely, lovely hotels on the absolute beachfront. They were staying just in the street coming off the beachfront. And she discovered that the street behind them becomes very, very uh, underworldish, if I can put it that way. And here my mom is. She's such a saint. She's such a... Loves the Lord. Loves to keep her heart pure. And here she is in this environment... And she says, it just doesn't stop. And you're hearing it outside all the time. And then there's hooters. And then there's screaming down the road. And these clubs and places. And although they were staying in a pretty nice place and had a good time, she was horrified to see what's going on. So then I would phone her and tease her, Mom, are you praying against those demons? Mom, are you praying for the city? She said, yes, it needs lots of prayer. But my mom is somebody that wants to keep her heart clean before the Lord. And even just to see some of the, the moral decay, some of the urban decay around there, and, and just the mess that's going on, made her realize that we're not living in a perfect world. But God is calling us to keep our hearts clean. Even though you might come into an environment that is unclean, you can keep your heart clean. Um, I'm just thinking, have you ever been in a situation where you're going to have a night with the family, a night with the kids, and you get a DVD, and you get some nice pizza delivered to your door, and salad, and you're going to have a lack of time, and you lay out the blankets and the duvets, and you park off, if I can call it that, and you really, and you start watching a movie, and maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the movie, you discover, this is not very good. This is... Then what do you do? Sometimes we don't switch it off. But we need to. If it's really defiling our hearts, forget about your 20 or 30 rand that you're losing on your DVD that you hired. Just switch it off and look after your heart because know ye not that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you want an increased reality of God's presence, keep your heart clean. Then the next aspect is the table of showbread, which point number three, 
delighting in God's word. I want to tell you, delighting in God's word is a key to increasing the presence of God in your life. I don't believe that there can be people that are really walking in a tremendous experience of the Spirit of God in their lives where the Word does not feature. It's a contradiction in terms. I don't believe that that happens. Now, the table of showbread is spoken about in Exodus 25, verse 23 uh, to 30. The table of showbread is an Old Testament picture of Jesus. The bread of life, the sustaining word. Jesus came and he said, I am the bread of life. And something's missing in our lives when we don't allow the word of God, Jesus, to be present in our lives. Something hinders us. Something is stopping us from experiencing the fullness, but the Word needs to be an important part. And just as bread nourishes us, so too will the Word of God nourish us. This doesn't only include the written Word of God, the Bible, the Logos, but it includes the Rhema Word of God, when God speaks to you. The written Word and the spoken Word are things that actually sustain us, and our keys to allowing us to experience more of the presence of God. So that's the table of showbread, and the priest would actually eat of that bread. God actually wants to fill you and sustain you with His Word, and prepare you to go into greater levels of His presence. So if you want an increased reality of God's presence, delight in God's Word. It says in Psalm 1, Verse 2 to 3, it says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He shall be an exceptional person. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Maybe to the people that stood today saying, God, I need your help in this area. I want to suggest to you that you allow a bit more nourishment to come through God's, through God's Word speaking to you and through God's Word being revealed to you as you just read the Word of God. It is a powerful means of increasing the presence of God in your life. Number four or five. Allow God's uh, light to flood your heart. This is an interesting one. I believe that allowing God's uh, light to flood your heart is a key to more of the presence of God. As you look at that lampstand and think of it being there in the holy place. So remember there was the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and then the altar of incense. And as you look at that lampstand, what would God want to say to you through that symbolism today? I believe that He'd want to say to you that you need to allow His light to flood your heart. That scripture says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
there's something that you and I have to allow. Shine on me, God. Cause your glory to shine on me. Cause your light to shine into my heart. God wants you to be flooded with light because He is light and him, in Him there is no darkness. Now the lampstand speaks of allowing God's light into our hearts and that's in Exodus 25 verse 31 to 39. The lampstand definitely speaks also of Jesus, the one who walks among the golden lampstands of the seven churches which is found in Revelation 1, verse 12, 13, and 20. Jesus goes and walks in amongst the lampstand of the churches. Another thing it speaks about is Jesus being the light of the world. Listen to this beautiful scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It says, For it is the Lord... God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, listen to this, who has shone into our hearts. Don't you like that? God's light has come about to shine into your heart, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? May I just read it one more time? Listen carefully. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness and has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus wants to shine His face upon you. Jesus wants to shine His glory into your life. Another scripture is Ephesians 1.18, Amplified Bible, it says, but having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, so that you can now understand and understand what is the hope of your calling and what is the glorious riches of His inheritance in the saints. Now, it's important to note, these, this lampstand has seven branches. It actually has a shaft with six branches, but there's seven in total. There was not candles on here. But there was lamps, lamps of oil, oil lamps. They would have a little lamp, they would have a little wick, the wick would rest in oil, and they would light this. And part of the responsibility of the priest is to keep the wick trimmed, keep the oil in sufficiently. And I want to tell you, the oil speaks of the precious Holy Spirit. How many of you agree? The Holy Spirit is still... The most tremendous key to experiencing the depths of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is still meant to be our senior partner in life. He takes the things of the Father and He reveals them to us. Make the Holy Spirit your friend. Put Him as the senior partner in your life because He wants to lead you into the presence of God. So if you want an increased reality of God's presence... Allow God's light to flood your heart. Then number five, the last one. The altar of incense. This speaks, point number five, of prayer, worship, and praise. Prayer, worship, and praise. And this is what it speaks of. It's found in Exodus 30, verse 1 to 10. 
Uh, and in Psalm 141 verse 12, it says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Prayer and incense is always tied together, but it also refers to worship and praise. I believe that one of the most exciting ways of experiencing the reality of the presence of God is when we come in worship before the Lord. How many of you enjoyed worshiping God today? Come on, let me see your hand. Singing our God is an awesome God. I felt like we just about lifted the roof off of this place. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. There's something about worship. This altar of incense, praise, worship, praise, that really gets us into the presence of God. And you know, God knows this. God is, has in recent years been increasing the component of worship in churches. If you think 25 years ago, you would battle to find a Christian artist's CD. There weren't many Christian artists 25, 30 years ago. You would battle to find good Christian music. And generally, it wasn't um, worship music. It was always just contemporary Christian music, unless it was the Fisher Folk. How many of you remember the Fisher Folk? Now you're dating yourself if you put up your hand. <laughs> but nowadays, the most expensive Christian genre of music, if I can put it that way, is worship. In churches all across the world, there are groups Musicians, Levites, minstrels that are being developed, that are being raised up. It's like David who came into the country when he took over. The worship ministry was basically obliterated. And then David came and he raised up the musicians, the minstrels, and he got worship going again. I want to tell you, God is raising the level of worship on this planet He's causing a mighty sound to arise. He's saying, I'm going to let the worshipers arise. I'm going to stir the songs and the songwriters. I'm going to stir the new sound. I'm going to stir people all over the face of the earth. And it will be for my glory. Because I want my presence to be felt by my people. Worship this major, major key. Have you ever been in a place where you are distressed in your heart? Something has upset you. And you pop on a beautiful worship song. And something just rectifies in your spirit and you come into the presence of God. Tell you a little story just about to close. I remember a couple of times having to lead worship at the previous church that I was involved in at Hatfield. And I remember two or three occasions where I was not doing well in myself. In fact, I was stickened. And I thought, God, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to stand to lead worship. I, I fear I'm going to pass out. I fear I'm going to fall down. But there was no way out of it. <laughs> Sometimes in ministry, you've got a job, you've got to do it. <laughs> and so... I just got on my knees before the Lord and I said, Lord, please help me, help me, help me. I was broken on the inside. And I had to go and lead worship. And as I began to lead several thousand people in worship, the gracious presence of the Lord 
would just come. The precious